My Side of the Mountain, page 87. October 15th. Today the barren weasel looked moldy. I couldn't get near enough to see what was the matter with him, but it occurred to me that he might be changing his summer, summer fur for his winter, white winter mantle. If he is, it is an itchy process. He scratches a lot. Seeing the baron changing his mantle for winter awoke the first fears in me. I, I wrote that note on a little birch bark, curled up on my bed, and shivered. The snow and the cold and the long, lifeless months are ahead, I thought. The wind was blowing hard and cool across the mountain. I lit my candle, took out the rabbit and the squirrel hides I had been saving, and began rubbing and kneading them to softness. The baron was getting a new suit for winter. I must have one, too. Some fur underwear, some mittens, fur-lined socks... Frightful, who was sitting on the footpost by my bed, yawned, fluffed, and thrust her head into the slate gray feathers of her back. She slept. I worked for several hours. I must say here that I was be beginning to wonder if I should not go home for the winter and come back again in the spring. Everything in the forest was getting prepared for the harsh months. Jesse Coon James was as fat as a barrel. He came down the tree slowly, his fat falling in a roll over his shoulders. The squirrels were working and storing food. They were building leaf nests. The skunks had burrows and plugged themselves in the dawn with bunches of leaves. No drafts could reach them. As I thought about the skunks and all the animals preparing themselves against the winter, I realized suddenly that my tree would be as cold as the air if I did not somehow find a way to heat it. Notes. Today I rafted out into the deep pools of the creek to fish. It was a lazy sort of autumn day. The sky clear, the leaves beginning to brighten, the air warm. I stretched out on my back because the fish weren't biting and hummed. My line jerked and I sat up to pull, but it was too late. However, I was not too late to notice that I had drifted into the bank, the very bank where Bando had dug the clay for the jam pots. At that moment, I knew what I was going to do. I was going to build a fireplace of clay, even fashion a little chimney of clay. It would be small, but enough to warm the tree during the long winter. Next day. I dragged the clay up the mountain to my tree in my second best pair of city pants. I tied the bottoms of my legs, stuffed them full, and I looked down on my strange cargo. I thought of scarecrows and Halloween. I thought of the gang dumping ash cans on 3rd Avenue and soaping up the windows. Suddenly, I was terribly lonely. The air smelled of leaves and the cool wind from the stream hugged me. The warblers in the trees above me seemed gay and glad about their trip south. I stopped halfway up the mountain and dropped my head. I was lonely and on the verge of tears, suddenly there was a flash, a pricking sensation on my leg, and I looked down in time to see the barren leap from my pants to the cover of the fern. He scared the loneliness right out of me. I ran after him and chased him up the mountain, losing him from time to time in the ferns and crow feet. We stormed into camp an awful sight, the baron bouncing and screaming ahead of me, and me dragging that half-scarecrow of clay. Frightful took one look and flew to the end of her leash. She doesn't like the baron and watches him, well, like a hawk. I don't like to leave her alone, end notes. Must make fireplace. It took three days to get the fireplace worked out so that it didn't smoke me out of the tree like a bee. It was an enormous problem. In the first place, the chimney sagged because the clay was too heavy to hold itself up, so I had to get some dry grasses to work it in so it could hold down its own weight. I whittled out one of the old knot holes to let the smoke out and built the chimney down from this. Of course, when the clay dried, it pulled away from the tree and all the smoke poured back in on me. So I tried sealing the leak with a pine pitch 
and that worked all right. But then the funnel over the fire bed cracked, and I had to put wooden props under that. The wooden props burned, and I could see that this wasn't going to work either. So I went down the mountain to the site of the old Gribbly farmhouse and stood around for some iron spikes or some sort of metal. I took the wooden shovel that I had carved from the board and dug around what I thought must have been the back door or possibly the wood house. I found a hinge, old handmade nails that would come in handy, and finally, treasure of treasures, the axle of an old wagon. It was much too big. I had no hacksaw to cut it into smaller pieces, and I was not strong enough to heat it and hammer it apart. Besides, I didn't have anything but a small wooden mallet that I had made. I carried my trophies home and sat down before my tree to fix dinner and feed Frightful. The evening was cooling down for a frost. I looked at Frightful's warm feathers. I didn't even have a deer hide for a blanket. I had used the two I had for the door and a pair of pants. I wished that I might grow feathers. I tossed Frightful off my fist, and she flashed through the trees and out over the meadow. She went with a determination strange to her. She's going to leave, I cried. I have never seen her fly so wildly. I pushed the smoke fish aside and ran to the meadow. I whistled and whistled and whistled until my mouth was dry, and no more whistle came. I ran onto the big boulder. I could not see her. Wildly, I waved the lure. I licked my lips and whistled again. The sun was a cold, steely color as it dripped below the mountain, dipped below the mountain. The air was now brisk and frightful was gone. I was sure that she had suddenly taken off on the migration. My heart was sore and pounding. I had enough food, I was sure. Frightful was not absolutely necessary for my survival, but I was now so fond of her. She was more than a bird. I knew I must have her back to talk and play with if I was going to make it through the winter. I whistled. Then I heard a cry on the grasses up near the white birches. In the gathering darkness, I saw movement. I think... I flew to the spot, and there she was. She had caught herself a bird. I rolled into the grass beside her and clutched her justice. She didn't intend to leave, but I was going to make sure that she didn't. I grabbed so swiftly that my hand hit a rock and I bruised my knuckles. The rock was flat and narrow and long. It was an answer to my fireplace. I picked up Frightful in one hand and the stone in the other, and I laughed at the cold, steely sun as it slipped out of sight because I knew I was going to be warm. This flat stone was what I needed to hold up the funnel and finish my fireplace, and that's what I did with it. I broke it into two pieces, set one at each side under the funnel, lit the fire, closed the flap of the door, and listened to the wind bring the first frost to the mountain. I was warm. Then I noticed something dreadful. Frightful was sitting on the bedpost, her head under her wings. She was toppling. She jerked her head out of her feathers. She, her eyes looked glassy. She's sick, I said. I picked her up and stroked her, and we both might have died there if I had not opened the tent flap to get her some water. The cold night air revived her. Air, I said. The fireplace used up all the oxygen. I've got to ventilate this place. We sat out in the cold for a long time because I was more than a little afraid of what our end might have been. I put out the fire, took the door down, and wrapped it up. Frightful and I slept with the good frost nipping on our faces. Notes. I cut out several more knot holes to let air in and out of the tree room. I, t I tried it today. I have Frightful on my fist watching her. It's been about two hours and she hasn't fainted and I haven't gone numb. I can still write and see clearly. Test Frightful's healthy face. In which we all learn about Halloween. October 28th. I have been up and down the mountain every day for a week, watching to see if walnuts and hickory nuts are ripe. Today I found the squirrels all over the trees, harvesting them furiously, and so I have decided that ripe or not, 
I must gather them. It's me or the squirrels. I tethered Frightful in the hickory tree while I went to the walnut tree and filled pouches. Frightful protected the hickory nuts. She keeps the squirrels so busy scolding her that they don't have time to take the nuts. They are quite terrified by her. It's a good scheme. I shout and bang the tree and keep them away while I gather. I have never seen so many squirrels. They hang from the slender branches, they bounce through the limbs, they seem to come from the whole forest. They must pass messages along to each other, messages that tell what kind of nuts and where the trees are. A few days later, my storehouse rolling with nuts, I began the race for apples. Entering this race were squirrels, raccoons, and a fat old skunk who looked as if he could not eat another bite. He was ready to sleep his autumn meal off, and I resented him because he did not need my apples. However, I did not toy with him. I gathered what apples I could, cut some slices, and dried them on, the, on a boulder in the sun. Some I put in the storeroom tree to eat right away. There were, they were a little wormy but it was wonderful to eat an apple again. Then one night, this was all done, the crop was gathered, I sat down to make a few notes. When the baron came springing into sight, he actually bounced up and licked the edges of my turtle shell bowl, stormed frightful, and came to my feet. Baron Weasel, I said, it is nearing Halloween. Are you playing tricks or treats? I handed him the remains of my turtle soup dinner and fascinated watched him devour it. Notes. The Baron chews with his back molars. He chews with ferocity I have not seen in him before. His eyes gleam, the lips curl back from his white pointed teeth, and he frowns like an angry man. If I move toward him, a rumble starts in his chest that keeps me back. He flashes glances at me. It is indeed strange to be looked in the eye by this fearless wild animal. There is something human about his beady glance. Perhaps because that glance tells me something. It tells me he knows who I am and that he does not want me to come any closer. The barren weasel departed after his beast. Frightful, who was drawn up as skinny as a stick, relaxed and fluffed her feathers. And then I said to her, see, he's got his treats. No tricks. Then something occurred to me. I reached inside the door and pulled out my calendar stick. I counted 28, 29, 30, 31. Frightful. That old weasel knows. It is Halloween. Let's have a Halloween party. Swiftly, I made piles of cracked nuts, smoked rabbit, and crayfish. I even added two of my apples. This food was an invitation to the squirrels, foxes, raccoons, possums, even the birds that lived around me to come have a party. When Frightful is tethered to her stump, some of the animals and birds will only come close enough to scream at her. So Bird and I went inside the tree, propped open the flap, and waited. Not much happened that night. I learned it takes a little time for the woodland messages to get around, but they do. Before the party, I had been very careful about leaving food out because I needed every mouthful. I took precaution of rolling a stone in front of my stone tree, my store tree. The harvest moon rose. Frightful and I went to sleep. At dawn, we abandoned the party. I left the treats out, however, since it was a snappy gold-colored day. We went off to get some more rabbit skins to finish my winter underwear. We had lunch along the creek, stewed mussels and wild potatoes. We didn't get back until dusk because I discovered some wild rice in an oxbow of the stream. There was no more than a handful. Home that night, everything seemed peaceful enough. A few nuts were gone to the squirrels, I thought. I baked a fish in leaves and ate a small, precious amount of wild rice. It was marvelous. As I settled down to scrape the rabbit skins of the day, my neighbor... The skunk marched right into the campground and set to work on the smoked rabbit. I made some Halloween notes. The moon is coming up behind the aspens. It is 
It is as big as a pumpkin and as orange. The winds are cool. The stars are like electric light bulbs. I am just inside the doorway with my turtle shell lamp burning so that I can see to write this. Something is moving beyond the second hemlock. Frightful is very alert, as if there are things all around us. Halloween was over at midnight last night, but for us, it is just beginning. That's how I feel anyhow, but it is just, but it just may be my imagination. I just wish Frightful would stop pulling her feathers in and drawing herself up like a spring. I keep thinking that she feels things. Page 98. Here comes Jesse C. James. He will want the venison. He didn't get the venison. There was a snarl and a big raccoon I've never seen walked past him, growling and looking ferocious. Jesse C. stood motionless. I might say, scared stiff. He held his head at an angle and let the big fellow eat. If Jesse so much as rolled his eyes, that old coon would sputter at him. It grew dark and I couldn't see much. An eerie yelp behind the boulder announced that, that the red fox of the meadow was nearing. He gave me goosebumps. He stayed just beyond my store tree, weaving back and forth on silent feet. Every now and then he would cry, a wavery, owl-like cry. I wrote some more. The light from my turtle lamp cast leaping shadows. To the beech nuts has come a small gray animal. I can't make out what. Now I see it. It's a flying squirrel. That surprises me. I've never seen a flying squirrel around here, but of course I haven't been up much after sunset. When it grew too dark to see, I lit a fire, hoping it would not end the party. It did not, and the more I watched, the more I realized that all these animals were familiar with my camp. A white-footed mouse walked over my woodpile as if it were his. I put out the candle and fell asleep when the fire turned to coals. Much later, I was awakened by screaming. I lifted my head and looked into the moonlit forest. A few guests still lingering at the party saw me move and dashed bashfully into the ground cover. One was big and slender. I thought perhaps a mink. As I slowly came awake, I realized that screaming was coming from behind me. Something was in my house. I jumped up and shouted, and two raccoons skittered under my feet. I reached for my candle, slipped on hundreds of nuts, and fell. When I finally got a light and looked about me, I was dismayed to see what a mess my guests had made of my treehouse. They found the cachet of acorns and beech nuts and had tossed them all over my bed and the floor. The party was getting rough. I chased the raccoons into the night and stumbled over a third animal and was struck by a wet stinging spray. It was a skunk. I was drenched. As I got used to the indignity and the smell, I saw the raccoons cavort around my fireplace and dodge past me. They were back in my tree before I could stop them. A, a bat winged in front of the darkness and circled the tallow candle. It was Halloween and the goblins were at work. I thought of all the ash cans I had knocked over on the streets of New York. It seemed utterly humorous. Having invited all these neighbors, I was now faced with the problem of getting rid of them. The raccoons were feeling so much at home that they snatched up beech nuts, bits of dried fish and venison tossed and tossed them playfully into the air. They were too full to eat anymore, but they were having a marvelous time making toys out of my hard-won winter food supply. I herded the raccoons out of the tree and laced the door. I was breathe breathing relief. When I turned my head to the left, for I sensed someone watching me, there in the moonlight, his big ears erect on his head, sat the red fox. He was smiling. I know he was. I shouted, stop laughing, and he vanished like a magician's handkerchief. 
All of this had awakened Frightful, who was flopping in the dark of the tree. I reached in around the deer flap to stroke her back to calmness. She grabbed me so hard, I yelled, and the visitors moved to the edge of my camp at my cry. Smelling to the sky, bleeding in the hand, and robbed a part of my hard-won food, I threw wood at the fire and sent an enormous shaft of light into the night. Then I shouted. The skunk moved further away. The raccoons galloped off a few feet and galloped back. I snarled at them. They went to the edge of the darkness and stared at me. I had learned something that night from the very raccoon bossing Jesse C. James. To animals, might is right. I was biggest and I was oldest, and I was going to tell them so. I growled and snarled and hissed and snorted. It worked. They understood and moved away. Some looked back and their eyes glowed. The red eyes chilled me. Never had then there been a more real Halloween night. I looked up, expecting to see a witch. The last bat of the season darted in the moonlight. I, I dove on my bed and tied the door. There are no more notes about Halloween.